in our reading, in 1.20, we have uh, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So Christ is seated at the Father's right hand in heavenly places, the, the, the right hand, speaking of the power of God, not one on one place and one on another. He's talking about Christ is the power of God and he has power over all rulers and authorities uh, that are seen and unseen. And then in chapter 2, verse 6, we come down to this strange verse, and raised us up. That's our position in Christ. He's raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we've been seated. Christ has been seated. And then we have been seated together with Christ in heavenly places. Usually people uh, talk about walking and running and things like that. But really the Christian life starts with us seated. You're started, you start your Christian life being seated with Christ. He sits you down. He says that's your position. Paul declares in that first reading we read when we take it to 1 uh, to 14, if you want to glance at it, all these great blessings and these great things. And when we read it sometimes in church, we just pass over it because we're so familiar with it. But there's this great list of blessings that are overwhelming and powerful that he's dealing with us in. And these blessings are spiritual blessings these blessings are heavenly blessings these blessings are eternal blessings they're not passing blessings no matter how good your mercedes car is is passing it will need to go to the repair shop many times that's if you can afford to put petrol in it and then it will rot away it will rust it will go it will go to the great scrapyard in the sky not that there is such a one but it's passing Everything is passing. And one day you'll get so old that you won't even be able to drive the stupid thing. It's passing. It's not eternal. It's not tied to heaven. And Christ's blessings are eternal and they're tied to heaven. So you've got this great list. And he's told us that we're chosen in Christ. And we're blameless in Christ. To think of that, that you are blameless. The world blames you. Things blame you. People blame you. Christ says you're blameless in him. Now the children have come. I could start the children's talk again, couldn't I? Anyway, you've missed out. Uh, maybe the, ch- the, school, the, the school teachers will actually um, play that game with you. They've already gone off. Um, uh, but we're adopted as children into the family of God. We're redeemed by him. That's brought back. He's paid a price to redeem you from one place to another place. He's taken you from a place which is bad to a place which is good. He's bought you and the one who buys you is the very God who loves us. And we're forgiven of our sins and all our wrongdoings because they were laid on Christ and he took the punishment so that you can have a standing in front of God where you can be right. In fact, you can go before God. And he's made known to us his will. And that's probably one of the things that we need more than anything else or one of the big things. We need to know the will of God. The ladies group are dealing with knowing Christ, knowing how we should live, knowing the will of God. And he says he, you can know the will of God. That's an amazing thing. And he says we, that, that that's what he's given us. We can know his will. And you have an inheritance which is eternal and we are sealed with God's spirit. All people should be able to see that, that you have been sealed with the spirit of God. The way you live, the way you behave, the way you love, the way you talk, the way you react. 
outwardly all reflect the fact that the Spirit of God is within you and so you are sealed by his Spirit. But not only that, you are sealed so that when Satan sees that seal, he knows you are Christ's child. He knows you are his. You know you are his by the way in which he works within your heart and your life. And he gives you a different attitude and a different principle and a different way of looking at things. You are sealed with the Spirit of God. Do you understand that and do you feel that? But these are the great blessings that he gives us. So then how then, as Paul once said, can you sin? How then can you do that which is wrong? How then can you do that which is harmful for your testimony to God and harmful to yourself? How then can you? You need to sit with Christ. You need to learn from Christ. You need to feel the character of Christ. It's not just learning a list of rules and a list of do's and don'ts. You need to have the character of Christ in you. You need to have the power of Christ in you. It's not just all of a sudden, okay, well, I accept this salvation and then let me try to put a lot of effort into doing that which he's given me a list of things to do. No, 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 it's not that at all. It's having the power of Christ within you. It's having the character of Christ within you. And you only know the character of somebody when you spend time with them, when you sit with them, you start to copy their accent as a child. You move to a different country and you grow up with the children of that country and you have the accent of those people. It's their way of looking at things through their education system affects you as a child. And so this world has a way in which it's affecting you. But we have a way where Christ's affecting us. It's a different way and it's a more powerful way and it's a more righteous way and it's a good way and it's a way that we should have confidence in. But you need to sit with Christ to allow his character to affect and influence you. Let the character of Christ, the mind of Christ, he's put in one section, let the mind of Christ dwell in you. And if we read just verse 17, it puts it slightly different way. That the God, uh, I'll read from verse 15 actually. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And this is what he's praying for. Look, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of the knowledge of him. That's what he's always praying for Paul, for, for, for people. You might want different things for your lives and different things. All sorts of ideas that you want people to pray for, but the issue that, that Paul prays for them generally and specifically is that the, 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 the God of our Lord Jesus Christ might give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. These are the great things that you need to set your minds on and you need to be confident in, but when we're so used to the world, we're used to thinking about all those things that proceed for our success, as the word is often used. But it's not these words that we concentrate on. To know him, to sit with him, to have the eyes of your heart enlightened, to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and to know the riches of the inheritance that you've got in Christ. You're not focused on the right thing. You see motivational speakers and they tell you to focus, but they don't focus on the right thing. You focus on yourself and you focus on what you can be and you focus on all these things, but you're not focusing on Christ, which or the motivation speeds are not wrong, 
But the fact is that very often, and they can't, they can't focus on Christ. And what Paul says is, get your focus right. This great power, the great goodness of God towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. So you need to know and experience, know and experience. It's an experience, you need to live it. It's not just something that's outside, it's something that's deeply inside your new life. And you do that by sitting with him, by sitting with Christ. And so the question comes, how much time do you spend sitting with Christ? How much do you actively engage with Christ? How much do you actively put yourself in a place where you're considering Christ, where you're thinking about Christ, where you're learning from Christ, where you're knowing Christ? Is that the center of your life, the focus of your life? Are you spending time sitting with him, you Christian? Uh, 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 uh. Uh, brothers and sisters, you start life, okay, real life. When you're born again, when you're born anew of God, you come into a new life and you don't, and you start your life in a strange way. You start it not by doing, but by being. You need to understand who you now are, who you now are and who you belong to and what that actually means. So you start by being, being a child dependent on their parents, being a child that learns from their parents, that actively learns the culture from their parents, that actively learns how to speak from their parents, that actively learns what's right and wrong and what's good and bad from their parents, that actively learns it, not just by hearing it, but by living it. And so you need to start by being, not by doing. You then do when you are when you realize who you are and what you are, then that flows out into something that you do, but you don't do to be. You be to do, you are. And so you need to concentrate on who you are by sitting with Christ. You make sure you sit with him all your life. You can both sit and walk, did you know that? It's a strange thing. In, 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 in the Bible, you've got this strange thing. You know, you can't picture yourself sitting and walking, but you could if you were driving your Mercedes, couldn't you? You could sit down in your Mercedes and sort of move at the same time. That's maybe a near example to it. But you sit and you can walk at the same time in the Christian life. You sit being a metaphor for actually being in the presence of Christ. Always being in the presence of Christ. Always having his culture working through you. Always having him in you. Always having him. So you need to be sitting with Christ. And the practice of sitting with Christ is something that you should do regularly, constantly, Always, you need to sit with him because if you don't sit with him, then you can't walk with him. You cannot walk with him without sitting with him. And that's a problem that often we try to do. We try to walk with Christ without sitting with him. And we find that we're powerless. And that should teach us that we need to sit with Christ to become powerful enough to walk with Christ. You need to be enlightened in knowledge, in wisdom and experience and understanding. And you need to believe. And it's he who seated you, listen, and raised us up with him. See, by grace, you, I'll read from verse 5. He, in chapter 2, verse 5, Ephesians, sorry. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised, it up, raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. It's something that he does to us, okay? He puts us there. He seated you, and you sit. The God of all creation seated you, so you sit. That's where he wants you to be. He wants you seated with him. You can't live the Christian life unless you are seated with Christ. 
And maybe it's just a habit that we've got out of. And maybe it's for you today. You need to maybe consider. I've not been sitting with Christ an awful lot recently. I've been rushing around, finishing my PhD and my thesis. Or I've had this on and that on and this work and that work. And I've forgotten to sit with Christ. I've forgotten the presence of Christ. I've forgotten to actually put myself there. Good intentions, good learning, even, dare I say, good Bible knowledge is not enough. It does not give you the experience that you need of daily sitting with Christ. Sit with him. Learn from him. At the start of chapter 2, we walked. It says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. We were walking. We were walking. You were walking. I was walking in our own arrogance. We were not taking any notice of Christ. We might have been brought up in a Christian home. We might have learnt all the songs. We might have memorized the scripture. We might have done all sorts of things. And yet, our minds and our thinking and our desires were not the desires of Christ. They were the desires of the world. We were not walking with him. We were surrounded by, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, or we surrounded ourselves with an atmosphere, but we, it was not Christ. We were far from him. So we were walking in the world in which you once walked is what Paul says, the trespasses and sins, that's how we all were, that's how every Christian is, before they come to faith in Christ, whether you come to him as a young child or whether you come to him as an adult, before you come to Christ, the, 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 the statement by Paul is that you were dead in trespasses, in sins in which you once walked, and that was called following the course of this world, this world's thinking, this world's ideologies, this world's uh, 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 aims, this world's fashions, this world's uh, uh, targets were what pushed into us. We were non-thinking. Uh, we might have had great intelligence and great learning, but we weren't properly thinking. We didn't rightly think until we come to Christ. And he sets us thinking in a right way, in our pride. That's how you walked, in trespasses and sins. That's what you did. You followed the world. You walked in disobedience and in your own desires. And you put your own aims above Christ and above others and above everything else. And you were living totally for yourself. But he raised us up. When you came to Christ, he raised you up. He took you away from that. He grabbed hold of you. And he said, this is where you sit. And he made you sit with Christ. You may still be in this state. You may confu be confused. You've never come to trust Christ and you've never been seated with Christ. You might not be there. You might be coming to church just out of tradition, just because of what your parents want you to do. You don't know the love of Christ in your heart. You don't know the experience of it. It's not an a thing that's overwhelmed you. It's not a thing that grabbed hold of you. It's not a thing where you've seen the love of God for you in Christ and you've actually come to trust him. You might not be in that position. You might be just a traditional follower, just a culture follower, and your culture's always been family church, but you've never come to sit with Christ. You've never come to that point. 
You might be confused. You need to be seated with Christ. You might have come to Christ. And you might have seated, been seated with him. But then all of a sudden again the cares of this world come in. And the ideologies of this world affect your thinking. You're educated in it. You're taught it. You're told to follow everything else that's around and about. You pick it up from the internet. You pick it up from the pop stars. You pick it up from all sorts of places. And all of a sudden it robs you from being seated with Christ. And it drags it away from you. And it drags you away from having the principles of Christ working in your life. And the principles of Facebook and TikTok and everything else become far more important to you. Or far more influential to you. And it's dangerous. It's desperately dangerous because it means that you live an empty life. Not knowing the power of God. Knowing the power of the world. And knowing the world patting you on the back saying you are success. But not knowing Christ saying well done. Not knowing him saying well done to you. Sit. And sit well. And sit still. And don't move until you've learned from Christ. Get your thinking Get your heart uh, 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 right with Christ. Oh, 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 oh. That's what becoming Christ is. Becoming like Christ. You can talk about becoming like Christ, but if you don't actually sit with him, you can't become like Christ. When you spend time with Jesus, that's when you have the power not to sin. Not in your own efforts. Not in your own trying to make yourself right. That's not what takes place. Uh, uh, as an aside, when you look at Galatians, you get this strange thing taking place where, first of all, the Galatians have come to Christ. They're trusting Christ. But Paul is telling them off because they're trying to add uh, a circumcision in. And he says, you're adding to the scripture. You shouldn't be doing that. But what, in effect, they're doing is, they've come to Christ, they're not sitting with Christ, they're trying to do for him, and then they expect heaven to be what they have. And it's the wrong way round. It should be, come to salvation, sit in heaven, and then he will give you the works to do that he has prepared for you. It's not doing the works after your salvation to try to keep God on your side or to try and earn again blessing and favour and heaven. It's getting those two last things the wrong way around. You are in heaven and therefore you can live with him. And that takes the stress away. It's not you trying to show off what a good Christian you are all of a sudden. It's being with Christ and letting him work through you, changing your attitudes towards others, changing your attitudes towards this world, and changing your attitudes towards Christ, and changing you. The power not to sin. You understand sin. It's of great importance, that one is. It's of great importance. It's a big topic. Many psychologists today are even finding the fact that we've tried to do away with sin as being harmful. And even though they're not Christian, they still talk about responsibility for the wrong that you do. They're trying to come back to that because they know that people can't live without that. And he's coming against God and his commands and his teachings and his nature. It's wider than just a list of do's and don'ts. It's a... It's his holy nature is overseeing every law that he has done. We talk of laws of nature, don't we? We talk of laws of nature. And we often give this little example that there are things that are happening around about us that constrain the way in which we live. 
you can jump out of that window and no matter how fast you flap your arms, you will meet the pavement and you're pulled down towards it. Uh, this, in this world, at 9.81 metres per second squared, that's the way in which speed at which you accelerate down. So if you jump from higher, you hit it harder. But that's what you do. That's the law that's built into nature. We don't think that, we don't think that's a law, I'm not going to obey it, I'm just going to jump out the window because I'm not obeying that law. Well, it lasts for about half a second before you come against the pavement and then uh, the law of the ambulance takes you to the hospital. But whatever it is, but, but you can't just override that which is there. And God's holiness is there. You can't just override it and you can't just ignore it without a consequence happening. And you can try to do that and you can work it out in your own mind, but it doesn't work. You can go out with a non-believer as a believer and you can say to yourself, look, I know better, it's not harmful. We really love each other. It's harmful to you. It's harmful to you because it takes you away from Christ. It's harmful to you because in your arrogance you say you know better than Christ. It's harmful to you because the relationship that you form will not be as you think it should be. It's harmful to that other person that you're going out with because they never see that you are committed enough to Christ, that Christ is big enough for you. And so you prevent them. It's like you're giving them uh, inoculation against the gospel. When you do that, so it's not love. It's your idea of your sentiments of love. It's not because God is for you. When he tells you these things, he's not telling you these things to be a spoil sport or a harmful. He's telling you these things out of love for you to help you. So that's what he says. You don't get married to a non-believer. And he deals a bit with it in the sex life because we are sexual beings. And he deals with it in the way in which you handle money as well. There should be an inbuilt holiness. And when you spend time with Christ, you understand those things. When you sit with Christ, you understand them. When you're not sitting with Christ, you put your own thinking in the way and in your own arrogance, you again come against Christ and you cause yourself harm. You cause yourself harm and you cause the church harm and you call your testimony harm, and you cause harm to everybody that's around and about you, that you influence in that same way. It's wrong. Christ is for you. He's for you. He paid the punishment for your sins. He's not against you. He's for you. He's for your blessings. He's for your, he's for, his favor is on you, if you want to put it that way. And on the cross, out of love, he screams out, I am for you. I am for you. Learn from me. My burden is light. There's an inbuilt holiness. Be careful how you come against his teachings, his ways, his, you could say his holy law, which is all of what he is. That's why at this church we actually try to teach sanctity of marriage. Sex only within marriage, and that only between a man and a woman. That's not so much of a problem in, in, in this problem in the West more. But don't go out with non-believers, and definitely don't live together before your marriage. We teach that, that's sanctity, that's holding the touch for your health, spiritually. Spiritual health, emotional health, psychological health, it's for your benefit. Not because we want to be harmers, but we want to be blessers. God loves you greatly. When Adam disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden in paradise, where God walked, God walked with man. God walked with man then. You, I, 
took that great responsibility of saying what was right and wrong to ourselves. We took that responsibility and we still battle against that every day. I know better. Surely God would not say that. I want this and so I'm going to get this. What do I want? The big I comes in and the responsibility we took from God and tried to live. And the cost of that was Christ and the cross to buy us back so that we can again sit with him. We were walking with God, then we walked with the world. And now we can be seated with Christ. You need to sit with him so that we can again, normally it's the same idea where we're washed, we sit with him, we're washed, we learn from him, we're cleansed, we learn from him, we live with him. Thinking of creation, how many days did it take for God to make the world? Someone give me an answer. I know you're all dying to. It's t- such an easy answer. You should, you're ashamed. People, you know, when they teach you at the lecture, I ask you a stupidly simple question. And nobody's going to answer it. You think, there's no way I'm going to answer that stupid question. It's just too simple, you know. Because it's, it's like a negative intellectual thing, isn't it? Like, answer, ask me a hard one and I'll put my hand up and answer it. But no, I'm not going to answer that one. How many days did he take? Please help me, somebody. Six. What did he do after the sixth day? Help me. He rested. Okay, that's quite straightforward. That's quite easy. God entered into his celebration. He entered into the great celebration of creation. He never actually stopped holding things up, but it was just the creation, the acts of it. Uh, uh, he finished and he sat and, he, and he, he, he enjoyed what he'd done. Now then, when was, what was made on the sixth day? Huh? Mankind, everyone's mumbling behind them. But man, the, the, the last of God's creation, the height of his creation, was man. What did man do on the first day of his life? He rested. He rested. He sat down with God. He rested. He'd not done anything. What does he need to rest for? He was resting and enjoying God. That's what he was made for. And you, when you come to be a Christian, you sit with Christ. You rest and you enjoy God. I once remember a pastor in Turkey uh, talking to somebody uh, and, and, and they were saying, well, my family's done this, my family's done that. He said, just come and sit. Just come and sit. Learn to worship. Learn to enjoy God. Learn to praise God. Do you enjoy God? I mean, that's the issue. Do you, do you really enjoy him? Or do you come to him thinking he's someone that's going to punish you and this and that and the other? Well, you've got the wrong end of the stick. You need to sit with him and rest with him and enjoy him. Enjoy God. Stay there until you enjoy him. Stay in his presence until you enjoy God. You're made to enter the rest of God straight away. To sit down, to cease from your efforts to try to make yourself right because they just won't do. And enjoy him and enjoy heaven. And then he will give you those things to do that will be enjoyable and exalting him. Trust Christ. Sit with Christ, rest with him, enjoy God. I ask you again, do you enjoy him? Do you really enjoy time with God? There's so many times in my, in my own Christian life where I say, We've gone, I've gone away from enjoying the presence of God. I've gone away from really spending that time enjoying him. To my loss, do you 
long to learn from him? Do you long to look at him? Do you enjoy looking at him? Yes, if we've sinned, it will make it uncomfortable. He's not wanting that. He's wanting us to enjoy him again. The experiential, real knowledge of God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of him. So don't try to walk before you sit. Sit, stand and walk at the same time uh, uh, as Christians. But Christians rule with Christ. They rule with him. They're seated with him in heavenly places. But we're, always, we're also ruling with him. How do we get to that state? You can only rule with Christ when you have the nature of Christ and when you love like Christ. It's only when you love like Christ can you be self-giving to other people and not bother what their reaction is going to be to you because Christ was willing to love and give no matter how much pain it caused him. It's only You can only rule with Christ when you're willing to take on board the world rejecting you, when you're willing to let go of your ideas of success and take the non-success of this life the non-success of Paul, beaten, for the glory and the joy that he had with Jesus was infectious. It's only then can you give yourself to serve when you sit down and you serve with Christ, the one who washed, washed the disciples' feet, the Lord of all glory doing that. is beyond belief what he did. It's only when you learn from Christ and you sit with him can you really become a server and rejoice in serving and see serving as being such a great and exalted thing to do. Not something like, well, I should really be doing that but I don't really want to. It's like when you take delight to serve because they know the blessings that he gives to others and you don't seek the world if you're with Christ. You can't. It's only then can you rule with him? It's only when you're seated with him can you rule with him because it's only then that you have Christ in you, the hope of glory, and you can have a real eternal view to the way in which you're living all the time, an eternal view. Every decision you make has an eternal consequence. So you look at it in the light of eternity, not looking at it in the light of tomorrow or next week or next year. Look at it in the light of eternity. Every decision that you make, look at it in the light of eternity. Is that godly? Is that good? Because if that's godly and that's good, then it has an eternal value. But if it's not, if it's totally centred on me, it's not got an eternal value. It's going to be empty and painful, to be quite honest. David, King David. I, I, don't, I don't know what I think about people like Elon Musk that said the other day that, you know, uh, people go to work for 40 hours. He said, I work 100 hours, that's why I'm successful, 100 hours a week. I work, 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 and uh, there might be something to be said for that. But David, uh, before God took hold of him, he followed the sheep. wasn't such a stressful life, probably, except when a lion came and tried to get the sheep or a bear came, but he was committed to the sheep. But he sat and he thought and he considered God and he considered God's ways, and that's why he could go against Goliath, because he had God in his heart. He didn't have the world in his heart. He saw things from a different viewpoint because he sat with Christ, Moses took 40 years in the wilderness to learn from God. Alone with Christ, Abraham walked with God and was called his friend. You need to be the friend of Christ. Jacob and Isaac and Joseph, and you can go through all of them. All of them. And look at the troubles that were in their lives. And there were a multitude of troubles in some of their lives for shorter or longer periods. 
And they were considering Christ that allowed them to do that. Are you willing to stop and consider Christ? You might be on the edge of doing something wrong, earning money in a way that might be wrong, doing something that's harmful. You need to stop and put it in the light of eternity and put it in the light of Christ. As I say, Paul, after he was converted, what did he do? Ran around shouting the gospel out? No, he went for three years to his own private Bible school where he learned to sit with Christ, where Christ came through him. It wasn't just his great teaching and his great learning. It was the life of Christ that was in him and through him that shines through when you read it. And he learned, it took him three years to sit with Christ before he actually started going about speaking and getting thrown in prison. Sit with Christ. If you do not, you are not much use in the kingdom of God, if I can put it another way round. Sit with Christ, your usefulness is not your success. Your usefulness is how like Jesus you are, how loving you are, how caring you are, and people know it and people see it, how much you are lifting others up, how much you are supporting others, how much you are doing all these things. So today, if you're sitting with Jesus, stop rushing, or if you're rushing about without Jesus, stop and sit with him. It does boil down to time sometimes, but you can learn the presence of God, as it were, wherever you are. Once you learn to sit with him, then you learn to sit with him when you're at work. Then you learn to sit with him elsewhere. Then you learn to sit with him and have fellowship with him. And that's why some of those ideas of pray without ceasing could be true. You can constantly be having fellowship with Christ wherever you are at the same time as doing your job well. And you find that it helps you to actually make the right decisions, not for making finances, but for being honorable and honest and truthful and right. Sit down. The amount of time people spend looking into their mobile devices is phenomenal. And it's a habit. And it can be a habit to me just as much to you. It's a habit. And that's why with the world that creeps into you. And you're, well, okay, well, I've got some hymns on here, but it's not that. It's not the presence of Christ that you need to make sure you protect so very much. You find it hard to sit with Christ. Of course you do. Satan doesn't want you to sit with Christ. The world doesn't want you to sit with Christ. He doesn't want you to be powerful in truth and in spiritual things. It wants you to be weak. So it keeps telling you how great you are. And how much you need to be doing this and need to be doing that and need to be doing the other. But it doesn't tell you to sit with Christ and learn from him. At the end of your life, well, you can say to Jesus, I knew a lot about you. I went to church. I knew a lot about you. I studied the right books. I knew about you. I knew an awful lot about you. I learned a lot from Wikipedia about you. I did. You know, everything's out there. My Bible courses, the studies, the Bible reading screens. I've learned a awful lot about you. Jesus might say, I never knew you. I mean, would he say, I never knew you? You never spent time with me. You never had fellowship with me. You never walked with me. You never sat with me. You never just came to me. You never were part of me. You were part of what people thought you should be, but you never really sat with me. Luke 10, 38 to 42. 
you just turn to that quickly on your devices, you'll be there far quicker than I will be. 38 to 42. And as they went their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary sat at the Lord's feet. Mary has chosen the good portion. What portion are you choosing? What portion are you choosing? Are you choosing the good portion? Are you troubled about many things? Are you sitting like Mary at the feet of Jesus, realizing that that is the most important thing that you can do? Choose to sit at his feet. One thing was needed. One thing is needed from you. Choose the best. Sit at his feet. Learn what your blessings should be, what heaven's blessings are. Know where and who they come from. Understand freedom and holiness as God teaches you himself. Two, chapter 2 Ephesians, I'm reading uh, 11 and 13, uh, the passage beyond what we read. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Have confidence in who you are. It's not down to you. It's down to what he has done, completed completely. He had broken the wall. He has brought us into that state by his blood, by his holiness. There is no power above his. There is nothing that can deny the blood of Christ once you are underneath it. Enjoy that victory that you have in Christ, but enjoy it by being seated with Christ. Enjoy the victory. Enjoy the spoils. Enjoy what it is. And don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. Walk well. Walk well. Don't be drawn away by the world. Don't spend your time on emptiness. Learn the slow walk. Be seated. Slow down. Slow down. Put the brakes on. Stop the car. Get into the right place. Meditate on his word. God is not in a rush. If you won't be changed, he'll just wait until you will. I often think that some people uh, miss out because they just won't. There's some sin in their life. And and it's not such a dramatic sin. It's not such a harmful sin. It's not such a, a bad thing, really. Nobody sees it. 
And God comes up to you and he speaks to you and says, that's the one where it stops. That's where it stops. That, yeah, that's got to change. And you say, well, let me just put it in the cupboard because it's not so bad. And you keep going on. Everybody around you looks and says, no, that's a great Christian. But you know it's there. And you've gone round it and you keep trying to walk on with your Christian life. But you can't. Every time you come to the Bible to read it, it's difficult all of a sudden. It's not open to you. You're not finding refreshing from God. You're not there. And what he keeps saying to you is, look, there's the problem and you won't stop. And many of us are walking on or running on, but we're not dealing with the problem that Christ says to deal with. And for every one of us, there might be different things. There might be different things. It might be that you've stolen in the past and you've not put it right. It might be that you've been, you're angry with people all the time and you're not actually dealing with that and you're not said sorry. There's somebody that you just won't say sorry to. They're just not, in, they're below you in your eyes. And you won't say sorry to them. You won't belittle yourself. And it stops there. And he says, you won't walk with me until you deal with that. You can't. I won't accept it. He won't change. He's got the patience. Stop. And get it sorted. It really is worth it. It's that famous thing. Is John still saying, I have all the time in the world. He sang it a little bit like that. He has all the time in the world to deal with you. He loves you so much. He won't put those things to one side and ignore them and walk around them and walk away from them because he's dealing with you and his holiness and his love for you. And he will deal with you. He will because he loves you too much not to. Are you truly alive? Are you truly living? Be ruthless in removing those things that are preventing you from sitting with Christ. Be ruthless in getting rid of those things that limit your fellowship with Jesus. Slow down for Jesus. Slow down for others. Get away from the habit of useless information. Control it. Get Christ to control your life. Sit with Jesus. Not YouTube influencers or whatever. Let Christ influence. Christ is seated. His work is finished. He rules over all things. He rules over everything. The world might think it rules in its arrogance, but it doesn't. Christ is ruling this world no matter how much of a mess it looks. He was ruling it at the time of the First World War and the Second World War. And he was ruling it at the time of uh, 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 Alexander the Great's empire. And he was ruling it at the time of the Ottoman Empire. And he was ruling it at the time of the Chinese empires. He's always been ruling this world. And his principal means of dealing with people is through his church, which is a forever people. So the church is making him known. It's aggressively making him known. He's taking Christ, the real power of God and you might say I feel so very weak no you're seated with Christ in the place of power you are not exceedingly weak you are exceedingly strong you have all the power of the Godhead with you but you have to sit with Christ to access it that's the only place you need to be nothing can stop him from loving you nothing can stop him being for you the cross has shown it the cross will show it nothing will stop him protecting you and your faith and your future for eternity that power is for you so just read that verse one last time chapter 2 verse 6 and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places 
in Christ. Cease from your efforts. Sit with Christ and then do that which God gives you to do. Repent from your faithlessness. Deal with that issue in your life that is preventing you really having fellowship with him. Stop trying to justify yourselves. You have the freedom. You first come to faith. Then heaven is yours. You sit with Christ. And then you live. You really do live. Let Christ rule in your hearts. Amen.